Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised, I worship you. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10.17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next 20 minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Hello, everyone. I'm Jordan Pine. And I'm Andy Baylog. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. In a recent episode, we defended the truth of the Trinity. During that lesson and other early lessons, we have mainly focused on the scriptures proving that Jesus is God. We've spent less time on the scriptures that prove the Holy Spirit is God. So in this lesson, we intend to do exactly that. Andy, people seem to have no problem with the idea that the Father is God, but some have trouble believing that Jesus is God, and even more have trouble believing that the Holy Spirit is God. Why is that? Tony, you know, that's a, a really good question. It's a tough question, but if I had to use my spiritual educated guess, I would say that across the board, regardless of the Christian denomination that you, the listener, belong to, God has always thought of being holy. He's set in heaven and set apart from mankind. And then Jesus, however, is remember, he left his heavenly abode and he came to earth to live and die as man and die as God, which seems to, I guess you could say, lower the value of Jesus's holiness, if you will, which by the way is untrue. And then finally, the Holy Spirit, as we know, according to the Bible, is given to Christians as a gift and he's sealed within us. And that's in Ephesians 4.30. Now he lives inside a fallen and contaminated mankind. You know, the common questions of skeptics might be, how can a holy God live inside a dirty, worldly Christian? And that makes me think of Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 12, Jordan, and I'm going to read it. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. So based on this verse, how could we blame anyone for feeling that way? It's an understanding that most people would think that maybe the Holy Spirit is not as equal to God the Father or God the Son. Well, today we will learn what the Bible has to say about that topic. Yeah, thanks, Andy. You know, recently I had a long conversation with a woman on Facebook, on our Facebook page, and, you know, she was arguing against the divinity of both Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Now, this woman believes that Jesus was an angel, perhaps the archangel Michael, and she also believes that the Holy Spirit is a force and not a person. And, you know, speaking to her caused me to do some really deep research in order to find and list all the scriptures that prove both of those points are wrong. And I I don't want to spend too much time on the divinity of Jesus, mainly because, as I mentioned, we've covered this before, but I do want to point out for our listeners that no less than four apostles attested to this fact that Jesus is God. 
And uh, if those of you listening want to pause this and grab a pen, I'm about to give you a list that every Christian ought to have handy. Okay, ready? Here we go. Number one, the Apostle Thomas. In John 20, 28, you know, doubting Thomas finally accepts that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and in that moment falls down and worships him saying, my Lord and my God. Number two, the Apostle Peter. Peter opens his second letter by calling Jesus, quote, our God and Savior. And that's 2 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. Number three, the Apostle John. This is very familiar to everyone. John 1, 1 to 3 and verse 14. John opens his gospel by explaining that Jesus, whom he calls the Word, was with God in the beginning and, quote, was God. In fact, John claims that Jesus is actually the one who created the universe because, quote, all things came into being through him, end quote. And number four, the Apostle Paul. In Colossians 1, 19 through 20, and again in Colossians 2, 9, the Apostle Paul attests that Jesus was fully God. In fact, if I had to pick one verse, Andy, that proves that Jesus is God, it would be Colossians 2, 9, which says literally in the Greek, that in Jesus, quote, all the fullness of the state of being God dwells in bodily form, end quote. And in Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7, there's also a great set of verses that you can use. And here the Apostle Paul explains that although Jesus had existed, quote, in the form or exact likeness of God, end quote, that is when he was logos, the word and not flesh, he did not consider this, quote, equality with God, very important phrase, end quote, something to be, literally in the Greek, clung to or retained. No, instead, he emptied himself and took the form of a man and a bondservant for our sake. And to that I say, praise God. So there you have it, four apostles, Thomas, Peter, John, and Paul. You know, the truth that Jesus is God can only be denied by denying the Bible itself. Absolutely, Jordan. And that's the key to today's study, I think, before we get going, is to understand that if we deviate from Scripture in any way, shape, or form, we're going to find a different doctrine. We're going to find something that does not line up with the Bible. So you have to make a choice as a Christian. Do you 100% accept what Scripture tells you, or do you have doubts and only want to pick out what works best for your agenda? I will say for both Jordan and I, as the book of Acts, we believe in the Berean way. If it's in the Bible, we believe it. Some people use the Latin verbology, sola scriptura. Whichever way you look at it, we believe that it was ordained by God that we have the Bible today. So we're going to believe everything it says from the very beginning to the very end. And now let's listen to the Word of God. Two readings, the first from the Acts of the Apostles. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. That was Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. A second reading. This one from the Apostle Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But we all, with unveiled faces, looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, 
are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. That was 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. The approach that I took with the woman who was claiming that the Holy Spirit is not God is that I asked her four questions. The first two reference the verses that we just heard. Question number one, if the Holy Spirit is not God, then why did the apostle Peter tell Ananias, you have not lied to men, but to God, Acts 5.4, when he had actually lied to the Holy Spirit? And question two, if the Holy Spirit is not God, why does the apostle Paul equate the Holy Spirit with God? stating, quote, the Lord is the Spirit, end quote, and speaking of glory that, quote, comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, end quote. Yeah, Jordan, so those questions for our listeners at home are rather rhetorical. I mean, if you'll read those scriptures there, we know that obviously the Bible specifically tells us that the Holy Spirit is God. And that's what we're going to support today. That's what we're going to try to show our listeners at home. Okay, so then the other two questions that I asked her, question number three, If the Holy Spirit is not God, why does Jesus give the Holy Spirit equality with the Father and the Son and the Great Commission? And that's Matthew 28, 19, which reads, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So, by the way, that is the the one verse in the Bible where all three aspects of the Trinity, all three persons of the Godhead, actually appear in one verse, although there are many other places where you can put it together. But that one verse, the Great Commission that Jesus gave to his disciples, has all three in one place. If you need a scripture for the Trinity, that's the one. And also, you'll notice that those three persons of the Godhead are given equal billing, if you will. So that's the question that I asked the woman. So what I was thinking of, Jordan, was actually um, something that we mentioned recently, that you know, if you look at the Hebrew of Genesis chapter 1, when the Bible actually tells us that Elohim in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. And the word Elohim in the Hebrew is actually a plural word. If you had to transliterate that, it would actually say, in the beginning, God's plural made the heavens and the earth. So when we look at that, and then we consider that God is a trinity, then we have to understand that if God always was and always will be, that even back then, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were together when the heavens and the earth were created. So it's just, you know, little tidbits like that. When we look at the Bible as a whole, we see that throughout the Bible, we see glimpses and actually sometimes just literal teachings, especially from Paul, that the Holy Spirit is 100% equal part of the Godhead. However, it has a different role. And we're going to talk about that later. Yeah. And the Trinity is a mystery and it's important to keep that in mind. For example, what you just said about Elohim is 100% true. And it's also true that God is one, like the Shema, which we talk about often, the, the most uh, holy prayer in, in Judaism. You know, here are Israel, the Lord, your God is one. And everyone gets tripped up on that who tries to wrestle with the Trinity because they're like, well, it says God is one, but then God is also plural, Elohim. As a matter of fact, literally in the Hebrew, the Shema says, says Elohim is one, you know, a plural word for God is one. And then you try to wrap your head around Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You really need to be able to reconcile these four statements, right? God is one, and God is also three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you just go through the separate arguments. We know that God is one because the Bible says so. 
We know that the Father obviously is God. Like I said, no one has trouble with that. We know that Jesus Christ is God because of all the verses that we talked about earlier and I've talked about in the past. And now we're discovering through the Bible that the Holy Spirit is God. So whether or not you can wrap your head around it, and this is essentially what I what I was saying in a nice way to this woman, whether or not you can understand it using human equations and human logic, the fact of the matter is this is what the Bible teaches. And if we can understand it, we can't change the Bible to fit our limited human understanding. We have to accept that God's thoughts are above our thoughts and we and God's ways are above our ways, and we just can't. If you just can't understand it, you can't understand it. It's a limitation of you, not a limitation of God. Yeah, you know, Jordan, it kind of makes me think of another question, right? If the Holy Spirit is not God, then why does the Bible attribute to the Holy Spirit the unique attributes of God? Right. Right? So, you know, we already saw how the divinity of Jesus is undeniable. And in part because the Apostle John and the Apostle Peter declare that he has the attributes of God. Now, he is timeless or eternal, existing in the beginning. And he is the creator and all things were made through him. Well, the Bible also declares that the spirit has the attributes of God. And it says that the spirit is omniscient, meaning all-knowing. Omnipresent means everywhere. And eternal means forever and ever. And if we look at 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 to 11, we see omniscience. For to us, God revealed them through the spirit. For the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among people knows the thoughts of a person except the spirit of the person that is in him? So also the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Psalm 139 verse 7. Here's an example of the Holy Spirit's omnipresence. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? Says the psalmist. Hebrews 9.14. Finally, here's an example of his eternal nature. The Holy Spirit, that is. And it goes... How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Yeah, those are great examples and great verses, Andy. You know, and again, only God has such attributes as omniscience, omnipresence, and an eternal nature. So the answer to all four questions, and you gave the fourth one, which again is, if the Holy Spirit is not God, why does the Bible give him the unique attributes of God? The answer to all four of those questions must be the same. You know, why did Peter say that to Ananias? Because the Holy Spirit is God. Why does the Apostle Paul equate the Spirit with God? Because the Holy Spirit is God. Why does Jesus give the Holy Spirit equality with the Father and Son in the Great Commission? Because the Holy Spirit is God. Why does the Bible speak of the Spirit using attributes of God? Because the Holy Spirit is God. So now moving on, what about this idea that the Holy Spirit is a force that I mentioned earlier and not a person, Andy? Well, that's a great question. Again, good point to bring up, right? So again, Jordan, that too is wrong according to the Bible, according to Scripture. Because we see in the Bible that the Holy Spirit is clearly a person with the attributes of a person. For example, the Holy Spirit gives commands. Acts chapter 8, verse 29. Acts chapter 10, verses 19 to 21. Do forces give commands? Absolutely not. Next, he can be insulted. The Holy Spirit, that is. We see in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29. Can you insult the force? No, of course not. And then finally, he can be grieved. And we see that, and I mentioned it earlier, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Can you grieve a force? No. 
This is actually a part of the Trinity, part of the Godhead we're talking about. This is God, the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 8, verse 29. Here the Holy Spirit gives command. And it says, then the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Acts chapter 10, verses 19 to 20. Here we see the Holy Spirit giving a command. And it reads, while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you, but get up. Go downstairs and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29. Here we see that the Holy Spirit can be insulted. And it reads, How much more severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? And there again, we see it in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. And it reads, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Yeah, thanks, Andy. And those are just a few of the attributes of a person that are attributed to the Holy Spirit in the Bible. It goes on and on. You know, our friends over at gotquestions.org list at least a dozen other personal attributes of the Holy Spirit, including, and again, we told you have a pen handy, so here you go. The Holy Spirit has insight, 1 Corinthians 2, 10 to 11. The Holy Spirit knows things, which requires an intellect, Romans 8, 27. He has a will, 1 Corinthians 12, 11. He convicts of sin, John 16, 8. He performs miracles, Acts 8, 39. He guides, John 16, 13. He intercedes between people, Romans 8, 26. He is to be obeyed, Acts 10, 19 to 20. He relates to people as he did with the apostles, Acts 15, 28. He can be lied to, as we saw in Acts 5, 3, resisted, Acts 7, 51, and even blasphemed, Matthew 12, 31. So just like there can be no doubt of the deity of the Holy Spirit, there can be no doubt about his personhood either. You know, Jordan, before we finish up today, I really want to go back to something that I mentioned in the introduction. And kind of what I said made a lot of sense, I think, if you are from the standpoint that you have a hard time accepting that Jesus is equal to God the Father, and then one tier below that, that the Holy Spirit is equal to Jesus, and then possibly even on the level of God the Father. And it really, I believe, has a lot to do with the position and the role of the Trinity, right? So I think we can all agree that God the Father is the head of the Trinity in his role, in his position, in the job that he performs. As he is, you know, overseer from heaven, he actually doesn't leave his throne, the holy place, right? So for that alone, regardless of what denomination you come from, you have to honor and praise and glorify God for that. And then there's people that have a really hard time accepting that Jesus, who claims to be God, leaves heaven, leaves his throne, or the side of God the Father, comes down to this, you know, this disgusting place that we call earth, is willing to get tortured, spit upon, in some theologies, maybe has his life taken away. And yes, he dies for the sins of the world, and then it takes God the Father to raise him from the dead. So I could see how some denominations or some people have a hard time equating Jesus on the same level of God the Father. And then finally, we learn about the Holy Spirit when we find out from Jesus that eventually 
he will send the helper. And that helper is the Holy Spirit. And as we read, we've read many times in our ministry that Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 teaches us that the Holy Spirit is sealed within us, right? So now we see the third part of the Godhead that's sealed in, inside humans, dirtiest of all things in the world, right? I mean, we're constantly sinning. We're thinking of sin. We're performing sin. Yes, we ask God for forgiveness, but it, it's something that's always going to be a part of our nature. How could God in the Trinity live in the same person as sin, right? But this is what we read in scripture as we tried to portray today, that you cannot fight against and argue with scripture. But we do have to understand that God has a plan and God is greater than us, evidently. And he understands that he is the author of all of history of mankind from the very beginning to the very end. So as Paul mentions in, and I believe it's in Colossians that, you know, he made us for him through him and to him. In other words, that the whole plan of making mankind in his image was for his own glory. And he was the one that's always also was going to provide the way of salvation. So in summary, Jordan, I'd have to say that I do understand how people have a hard time accepting it, but because it's in scripture and because that we have to have faith and trust God that this is part of his plan, we cannot deny that Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are part of the Godhead. But you know, the the aspects of God, the the three persons of God, they had different roles in different parts in time. And when you start looking at it on, on God's time scale, it becomes very interesting because, of course, at one point, God the Father himself walked with man. You know, he walked in the Garden of Eden with, with Adam and Eve. Sure. And then, you know, gradually became more um, more, distanced and, more distant than he was behind behind the veil and only the high priest could go in there and all that stuff. And and so, so then Jesus Christ, God himself in the form of a man came, as we read earlier, you know, he, God actually debased himself, as you were saying, to, to become in the form of a man to pay the price for our sins. And then Jesus ascended and, and said, he, as you mentioned, he was sending a, a comforter, a helper. And, and now we have God, the Holy Spirit here on earth. And of course, at some point in the, in the future, we think the near future, the Holy Spirit will leave the earth because it's sealed inside of the members of the church when we're raptured, and and at that time, you know, and again, this is a whole other lesson that we could do. At that time, um, there'll be hell on earth because God's presence won't be on the earth for for the time of the tribulation, the seven years, and then Jesus will return, second coming, and then He will reign, and then God, and then God the Father and God the Son will reign together. So, if you start to look at it on a time scale, I was I was just thinking about that while you were talking. It becomes very fascinating, and of course. If you read the Bible holistically like that from beginning to end as a, um, as a history and also as a prophecy, you'll also see all three aspects of the Trinity in, in the entire story of the Bible, which it's really hard to ignore that. Amen. Amen, Jordan. So to recap today, we learned that, number one, that Jesus is undeniably God, this time according to the testimony of no less than four apostles. Number two, that the Holy Spirit is God. This according to the testimony of two apostles, Peter and Paul, and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave him equal billing in the Great Commission. And we also saw that he's omniscient, he's omnipresent and eternal, and he has qualities that only God has. And three, that the Holy Spirit is clearly not a force, but a person with the qualities of a person, more than a dozen such qualities according to the Bible. And that, everybody, is our lesson. Until next time, we leave you with the words of the Apostle Paul. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you enjoy today's lesson? Well, then here are a few ways to get more. 
others that are listening to this as a podcast. We're on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and most other podcast platforms. Subscribe to our podcast in one of these places, and you'll get new lessons automatically delivered to your favorite smart device. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple. Our music was recorded by the Abundant Life Worship Center. Our sound editor is J.P. Eli. I'm Steve Zioli. And until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.